right, so we are in our series this summer called People, Places, and Things. And uh, what we're doing, if this is your first time here, uh, we've been doing this series where we're talking about the people, places, and things in the Word of God that uh, pertain to the character of God and who He is and how that pertains to our life. And uh, I've really been challenged over these last couple of months myself. Like I, I say it quite a bit, when I study the Word to, to bring a message, man, I, I get more out of it than I'm sure you guys ever get. So I'm thankful for it. But uh, I hope you've been challenged as well. And uh, today is no different. Uh, I'm really excited about the message today. The first service was uh, really powerful, and I believe God's going to minister to you and through you today as well in the second service. So uh, today we're going to be talking about Jacob and his encounter with God at Peniel, okay? And uh, to set it up before I read my text verse, uh, in case you don't know the story of Jacob very well, uh, he was the son of Isaac. He was the grandson of Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the, the nation of Israel. And uh, he was born a twin. His brother Esau was born before him, but he was holding on to his heel as they came out of the womb. Quite an interesting picture there. Um, they were jostling in the womb, actually, the Bible says. So they were, you know, they had the sibling rivalry going on before they were even fully born. Uh, now that's, that's starting pretty early, if you ask me, but uh, that was the nature of who Jacob was. And so he, he ended up stealing, deceiving his, his brother, he deceived his dad, he ended up being on the run. And uh, he's actually on the run from his father-in-law now. He got married, married two sisters, Rachel and Leah. And he's on the run from his father-in-law. And he has this night where he has an encounter with God, okay? Because he thinks, he actually heard that Esau is coming towards him. He hadn't seen Esau in a while. Somebody came to him and said, hey, your brother's on his way towards you with 400 men. So he's convinced that he's probably done for because he knows he, he messed his brother over pretty bad in their younger years. And so he has this encounter with God, which brings me to my text verse. So if you have your Bible and you can open it to Genesis chapter 32, if you do not have it, we will have it on the screen as we read God's word together. I'm gonna to ask you to stand with me, please, as we honor God's word by the reading of his scriptures in chapter 32, verses 22 to 28. It says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Obviously, this man was not just any man. This was a representative of God. There's many different theories on who he was, an angel or Jesus himself. We don't know, but we know this was a, a messenger, a representative of God in this situation. And he did end up blessing him later on in this passage. Uh, the title of my message today, though, is What's Your Name? What is your name? Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we love you today. We are so, so grateful to be in this place today, God, to just come together and worship you and hear your word. Lord, I pray today that you would do your work in our hearts, Lord. You're the only one that can change us, that can transform us. So Lord, would you do your transforming work in each one of our lives over these next few minutes? I pray that my words would be your words, and God, that you would get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. You're the only one that deserves any of it. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. So, what's in a name? The title of my message today is, What's Your Name? 
You know, uh, when it talks about names in the Bible, we don't think much of it because contextually, today, we don't have a lot, we don't have the same approach when we name a child or we name our dog or our cat, whatever it is. We usually just try to find a name that kind of rolls off the tongue and kind of goes with the last name and sounds good and won't be weird. And of course, today, the more unique the name, the better, right? There's a lot of trendy names that are very, very unique. In fact, just from studying this, I just did a quick Google search to see some of the more unique names that kids have been named over the last few years. And I found a few that I just thought would be interesting to share them with you guys. Uh, one was called Moon Unit. I don't know if that's a boy or a girl, but that's rough. Uh, felony, but, but they changed the F to a PH, so it's fine. Um, Shelly, which, you know, isn't abnormal at all until you look and see that the S is actually a dollar sign. Uh, sounds like a singer of some sort. But this is actually a name on a birth certificate. Uh, and then my favorite, Fifi Trixabel. Uh, I don't know who that was. Fifi, if you're here today, I'm really sorry for your name. But, uh, some interesting names that we see, and it doesn't mean a whole lot to us today, the names we give. Sometimes you'll give a name that's a family name and you want to continue on that name, but for the most part, it's just, you know, Sounds good, let's do it. Uh, but in ancient times, and in the time of Jacob, names were a big deal. Names were everything. Many of you know this. The person's name meant something. It, it was either uh, the situation they were born into would determine the type of name they had, the name that was given to them, or maybe their, their character, maybe it was a prophetic thing, believing for God to, to make this name come real in this person's life. But it was very, very significant what a child was named back in this day. And even, even still today in many places in the Middle East, it's a very important thing what the child is named. And uh, Jacob's name was very appropriate because the word Jacob means supplanter. It means someone that will use trickery or deception to get what they want. And that pretty much describes Jacob's early life. He used trickery and deception to get what he thought he wanted and was even maybe rightfully his. And he did whatever he had to do to get it. So this summed up Jacob's life up to this point. And he lived deceiving his brother, he deceived his father, he deceived his father-in-law. He was actually deceived by his father-in-law as well. Uh, so there was deception was a, a common thread throughout his whole life. And then he gets to this place where he's uh, about to run into his brother who had 400 men with him, thinking he was probably doomed and he has this encounter with God, okay? Now, what does this encounter, what does this story mean for us? This story that happened thousands of years ago. I know you guys didn't come here for a history lesson today to, to talk about somebody else's encounter with God, but the beauty of this story and really what we've been doing over these two months when we're talking about people, places, and things, it's about looking at the Word of God and seeing the character of God even in the Old Testament and how that character of God applies to us today. Because how I many you know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? So his character doesn't change. So the way he, the way he encountered people back then is very similar in, in how we are going to encounter him today. And the reality is we all want to encounter God, right? We all, I mean, how many times have you said to yourself, God, I just wanna feel your presence, right? God, I wanna just know you in a deeper way. I wanna just be overwhelmed by who you are. I wanna encounter you in a greater way, right? We probably all said that. We pray that on Sundays before church, that the manifest presence of God would encounter us in this place. Now, I know for some that sounds weird, and sometimes the manifestations of the Spirit of God in life, you may have some, had some experience where you saw that it was really weird. It doesn't have to be weird, though. The presence of God in our life is a very, very good thing, and we should want it. 
It's a powerful thing in our life. And we all want to encounter God in our life. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to do that, to experience him in a great way. Now, we're probably not going to encounter him like Jacob did. You know, we're probably, you're probably not going to wrestle with, physically wrestle with a heavenly being out in the woods somewhere. You're probably not going to have an audible conversation with God. I know people heard the audible voice of God, but it's very rare. and Very few people have actually had audible conversations with God. That's not necessarily going to be the encounter we have. It's not going to look just like Jacob's look, but there's characteristics of this encounter that we can know that this is who God is and this is how he encounters his people. And the reality is I believe God encounters us a lot more than we realize because a lot of times we don't know what we're looking for. We have in our head how it's supposed to look. And so depending on how we respond to an encounter with God determines whether or not it's going to be life-changing or if it's just going to be a blip on our radar. And I don't know about you, but I want my encounters with God to be life-changing. I want it to change my life, but we have to know what we're looking for. I think too often we think of an encounter with God is something that looks like the person that just won the grand prize on the game show. And the balloons fall from the ceiling, the confetti falls, the music's playing, people are screaming and yelling and having a good time, and somebody brings out this huge check that shows all this money that you're gonna have, that you're never gonna have another problem with money the rest of your life, that that's how an encounter with God looks. It's a big party and God's gonna make sure I don't have any problems for the rest of my life. Well, I can tell you that's not what an encounter with God always looks like. In fact, as amazing as this encounter was with Jacob, he still had plenty of issues the rest of his life. Plenty of issues. Even it being in the will of God, he was living in a drought in his land that God had promised him. So an encounter with God doesn't make all of our problems go away. It is about growing with him and in him, letting him change us to make us more like him. That's what an encounter with God is all about. But here's the thing, if we look at it as this thing that is where God just meets every need we have and we get to get it all in our fields, then we're gonna miss out on what, what really happens in an encounter with God because encountering God, every aspect of our relationship with God has a cost. It costs us something. Jesus told us very clearly that we have to count the cost if we're going to follow him. So there is always a cost, even when we encounter God. When, when Jacob encountered God, there was a cost. He had his hip hurt, and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. Now, that's not how our encounters with God look, thank God. But every, every encounter we have, we see the characteristic here of God that it's going to cost us something. That's God's plan for us. But we all need encounters with God, but what we really want, if we're just honest with ourselves, is oftentimes we really just want a visitation from God not really an encounter with God. See, a visitation from God is really just getting some information. It's God giving you some information about yourself and maybe a, a, someone comes up to you and prophesies over you and says, you know, I believe the Lord's saying this about you and they're saying all the nice things and everything God's gonna do in your life and it's just about information download. It's about getting, uh, getting in your feels and uh, really getting emotional about the situation because God's just encouraging you and, and giving you what you need in that moment and those are beautiful times too. A visitation from God is a good thing too. But let's look, because Jacob had a visitation from God too. Earlier, before this encounter, he actually had what we would call a visitation, where he was, uh, he was at Bethel, and he lays down, he goes to sleep, and God gives him this dream. He gives him a glimpse into some of the heavenly realm. And he sees, an, he sees angels descending and ascending up this staircase from heaven to earth. That's quite a wild picture, right? And he sees this, and at the top of the stairs, God's at the top of the stairs, and Jacob can see him. And God looks down at him, he says, Jacob, 
you're gonna, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you the land that I promised your forefathers. It's gonna be yours. Your descendants are gonna be like the dust. There's gonna be so many of your descendants, you're not even gonna be able to count them. I'm gonna go with you where you go, and I'm gonna make sure that my promises in your life are fulfilled. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want God to say to me. I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna go with you, I'm gonna make sure everything that is promised to you is going to happen, and you don't have to worry about it. I'm like, thank you very much, right? He was very, very happy when he woke up from that. In fact, he put up a monument in that place because he saw this, had this visitation. But let's look at Jacob's response to the visitation from God to see what happened. In Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22, I highlighted the words here that I think depict his response in this passage. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tent. Doesn't sound like he was changed very much, was he? A lot of I's, me, and if and then in there. The visitation didn't actually change him. Now listen, I'm not saying a visitation from God can't change us. You know, when, when God confirms his word to us and it's something even about, maybe about our future, it's about what he's doing in our life, that can absolutely do a great work in our heart too. There's nothing like being validated and being encouraged by God, right? But here's the thing, a visitation is really more about information, whereas an encounter is more about changing us. It's more about changing our name than a visitation is. And what we really need is the encounter because the encounter is where we are changed. It's where our sin nature is dealt with in our life. It's where the, the issues we have in our life are dealt with, where God puts his finger on it and helps us in those things more so than just giving us information. So we need to encounter God. We need to run into him all the time and let him encounter us in our life. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you a couple points. Um, what I wanna to talk to you about today is him changing our name. When he, if he's gonna change our name, there's some truth that we see in this passage that I believe shows the character of God. There's factors about him changing our name. And the first one is that there's going to be some wrestling. Now, I know we're in the South here, so I'll say it differently. There's gonna be some wrestling, okay? <laughs> there's going to be some wrestling. Because becoming more like him doesn't happen without resistance. It does not happen without resistance because there is usually still just too much of us. Now I know we want God to just change us and make us more like him but while we sleep at night, but that's not how God really works. Because the change that happens is about resistance because there's always going to be something in us that doesn't wanna change the way God wants us to be more like him. We don't wanna to have to go through it because we don't wanna to have to count the cost. We don't wanna to have to wrestle with him when really that's who he is and that's what he is telling us that is going to happen, there's going to be some resistance. And if you're, the, if you're somebody that says, well, I'm so close to God, you know, I don't, uh, I don't really wrestle with him anymore at all. Like we've dealt with all that. I'm, I'm so close to him, it's just, it's just me and him, you know, we're just doing our thing. I would, I would suggest to you that that is nonsense because there is nobody that has completely defeated the sin nature in their life. Now, did Jesus conquer sin and death? Absolutely. You better believe it. The greatest part of that is that we get to go to heaven when we die if we're in him, right? But, but we are still human beings with a flesh, and that sin nature in us is never going to just say, 
what, I'm good, you're good, you love Jesus too much, now I'm done with dealing with you. It's never going to be that way. It's going to be a constant battle and struggle and challenge in our life. And as we grow in him, we learn how to fight those battles better. But there's going to be a struggle, we're going to be wrestling with God. And frankly, we wrestle with God a lot more than we know. Again, it's not a physical wrestling match, but we wrestle with him. Anytime you're in a moral dilemma, you're wrestling with God. Anytime God's putting it on your heart to step out in faith, you know, maybe to share your faith with a coworker or a neighbor or family member that doesn't know Jesus, and you're feeling the pull to do it and you don't do it, you're wrestling with God. You know, or if it's a life decision that God's challenging you to make some huge life decision that's going against the grain and you're, you're resisting because you just don't know if you can trust him enough to do it, you're wrestling with God. We wrestle with him all the time. Every time we give in to the temptation in our life, whether it's to doubt or, or if it's to selfishness or if it's to lust, whatever temptation we're giving in, we are wrestling with him. We are wrestling with God. We are resisting what he is wanting to do. When we are waiting for God, we are wrestling with him. If you are genuinely waiting for something from God, like, God, I, I need this, I want this, you promised me this, you are wrestling with God. As I said, Jacob is as blessed as he was, and he, was, he wrestled and he got his name changed to change his whole character and who he was. I promise you, when he heard that Joseph, his favorite son, was dead, even though he wasn't, I promise you he wrestled with God. When he was living in the land that God promised him he would have, and he was in a drought so bad he had to send his sons to Egypt to get some food, I promise you he was wrestling with God. We're going to wrestle with God, and I can tell you today that it's okay to wrestle with him. It's okay to wrestle with him. He would rather we wrestle with him than walk away. You know, Jacob could have walked away. I don't believe God would have chased him. I believe he would have said, well, okay, you're gonna walk away, you're gonna walk away. He would rather that we wrestle with him, that we would fight to know why we believe what we believe and fight to see his faithfulness in our life. When we sing that song, all my life you have been faithful. Let me tell you something, that doesn't mean all my life I haven't had to wrestle with you. It doesn't mean all my life everything went perfect. It just means I know you're faithful in the midst of it all because that's who he is. So it's okay to wrestle. The apostle Paul wrestled with God. In fact, one of the greatest truths we see in all the Bible, it came from him wrestling with God about the thorn in his flesh. Second Corinthians 12, he says, I beg God to take this away. He was wrestling with him. And so God gave him one of the greatest truths in all of Christendom, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Beautiful truth, came from wrestling with God. And also, he didn't take the thorn. So it doesn't always mean you're gonna get your way. Like, you don't just wrestle with him so he does what you want him to do. You wrestle with him so he makes you more like him. That's the idea behind all of it. So oftentimes, though, we're not ready for a name change until there's some pain in our life. Because how many of you know if things are going well, it can actually stunt your growth? If things are going smooth, we can be content with where we are, right? But to really have growth, usually there's discomfort involved. There's some pain involved. If you want your muscles to grow, it doesn't matter how much you sleep, they're not gonna grow. You gotta make them uncomfortable. You know, and if it, when your body grows and your bones stretch, there's discomfort, so I'm told. <laughs> I was never afflicted with growing pains. But I've heard, I think it's a myth, but whatever. But when there's growth in life, usually there's discomfort. 
And when we're too comfortable, which we are very comfortable in this nation, we're thankful for the blessings of God in this nation, but it can also work to our detriment if we're not careful. Because we have to wrestle to really be changed. The life of faith is about dependence on him and him alone, not about ease, not about comfort in life. It is about dependence on him. And when we, when we get that perspective that our life is about being more dependent on him, not more dependent on myself or on anything else, then that we welcome the discomfort. We welcome the wrestling. We welcome the pain. Not because we're masochists, but because we know that that's what it takes. That's the character of God and how he is going to cause us to be more like him, how he is going to actually change our name, how he's going to change our character. It's exemplified in no better place than in 2 Corinthians 1, the words of Paul himself. Verses eight, nine, look what he says here. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. He, was going, he went through some pretty rough stuff. This wasn't like my food that I ordered came out cold, okay? This is some tough stuff that he had to deal with. Look at the next sentence. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Listen, this isn't just some uh, special thing for Paul because he was gonna write a good portion of the New Testament. This is the character of God. This is how God functions. This is how he works in our lives. He allows these things to come into our life to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God. Do not kid yourself into thinking that God will never allow or even sometimes initiate discomfort in your life because he most absolutely, most certainly will. But we have to know, we have to understand how he works. It's not because he wants to beat us down. It's not because he wants, he just likes to mess with us. It's not because he's not good. It's not because he's not faithful. It's not because he's not loving. And it's not because he doesn't love us more than anything else in all this world. It's because he wants us to rely on him because he knows our nature is to rely on ourselves and on others. And we miss out on the name change when we do that in our life. So he's going to bring that into our life sometimes. Oh, that we would get to where we don't strive for ease in life, but on dependence on him. But that's hard to do because we, we know enough, if you know enough to know, when you ask him to make, make your, help you to depend more on him in your life, you know that means that there might be some challenges coming up that is gonna help you get to that place in life. You know, it's like God doesn't just give us, he just doesn't make you more dependent just by flicking it on you. You know, I mean, I'm sure you heard many times, if you pray for patience, God help you. God help you. Every slow driver in CSRA is gonna be right in front of you. That's just the way it is. He's gonna build character in you. He's, gonna, he's going to bring discomfort to bring the growth in your life. Because self is our biggest obstacle in growth when it comes to our encountering God. Self is what gets in the way. You know, Jacob's biggest problem wasn't Esau. His biggest problem wasn't his dad or his mom or his father-in-law. His biggest problem wasn't even the man that he wrestled with. His biggest issue was himself. And it's the same for you and me. Our biggest issue is ourself. We need God to make us desperate. Jacob was desperate because he thought he knew Esau was coming. He thought he was coming to kill him. So he was desperate. Desperation will help you to get to the end of yourself. And that's exactly what we need. It sets us up for a name change. Secondly, we have to be real about our current name. 
If we really wanna have a name change, we have to be real about our current name. If we really wanna have a God, want God to change us and make us more like him and deal with the issues that are in our life, we have to be real. That's a prerequisite, that we are real about our current name. You see, in Jacob's encounter, he didn't get a new name until he admitted his real name. If you saw that in the text, he asked him what his name was. And remember, name is not your name. Your name is who you are. It's your character, it's what describes you. So in essence, the angel was asking him, what kind of person are you? How have you lived your life? What are you doing with your life? What would define your life? And Jacob, for the first time ever, was honest. He said, my name's Jacob. He basically said, well, sir, I have lived my life for myself. I have deceived everybody and anybody that would be in my path to get ahead. I did whatever I had to do to get the blessings that I wanted for me. My life is all about me. And the angel says, basically, or the, the man says, in essence, finally, I can deal with that. When you're honest with who you are. Because see, earlier, years earlier, or sometime earlier, Jacob was asked his name by his dad, and he lied. In fact, I'm gonna read the verse. It's out of Genesis 27, verses 18 and 19. It says he went to his father because he was trying to steal his brother's birthright. The blessing, I'm not, not the birthright, the blessing that comes from the dad. And Isaac was old and blind and couldn't see. So Jacob dressed up like Esau and he went to his father and he said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. So he was asked his name earlier and he lied. He said he was Esau because he wanted the blessing and he did get the blessing. I don't know what good it did him because he ended up being on the run pretty much ever since then. But he lied, but here he finally told him his real name. And the man says, good, finally, now I can change you. When we are real about who we are, God can work with us. And I know to some of you this may sound a little crazy, but I wanna tell you today, God works within the system that he has set up. Okay? God has set up a system, and he works within that system. You can't just say, well, you know what? I'm a Christian. I, I've given my life to Jesus, and so now I'm just going to be blessed forever. All my sins are taken care of. Everything's good, and I'm just going to live my life. You can't say that and understand the word of God because God actually works within a system. There are things that God cannot do because he chooses to limit himself. Okay? And it, it, I'll give you one quick example, just very quickly. He cannot flood the earth again. He cannot destroy the earth again with a flood like he did in the days of Noah. Why? Because he said he can't. Because he said, I will never ever do it again. So could he send enough rain to destroy the earth again? Absolutely. But he will not do it because he works within his own system that he has created. And so he works within his own system that he's created for us and how we're going to live out this life. And, and if we're really going to see him change us, then he's created a system. And listen, I'm not talking like everything is just point A, B, C, D, E, but there are, there are certain parameters, there are certain truths about how he works with us that we have to understand and live by. If we're really gonna see him do the work in our life, we want him to do. So if we're going to see him change our name, if we're gonna see him change us, then we have to be real with who we are. Just like Jacob was, he told Jacob, Jacob said, my name is Jacob. He said, no longer, now your name is Israel because you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. Basically, this man said to Jacob, you know what? You used to be a deceiver, now you're gonna be an overcomer. 
And you're gonna be that way because you were honest and you were real about where you are and who you are and I can work with that, is what God says. And so for us, how that looks for us in our life is that God will not change us until we are real, okay? And I'm not talking about a one-time being real, a one-time being transparent. Youth, you guys just had an incredible week, right? And you were probably more real than you've been in a long time at this, at this camp. But I can tell you today, if you don't continue to be real with your God, what happened this past week will fade over time. Yeah. That's how it works. You have to continue to be real. This was a launching pad for you, just like we all have these launching pads in life where we have these moments, these high emotional moments in our life where we get to experience God, but those are moments that are to launch us into greater places of being real, transparent, and honest with who we are and who God has created us to be. Amen. And it starts by being real with ourselves and with our struggle with our sin. Some of you listening here today are wondering why you're not growing in the Lord, why you continue to struggle with the same sins over and over in your life. Now, this is not some quick fix formula that I have, but I can tell you, for if you are not being real with those, with those issues in your life, and you're not bringing them before the throne of God and setting them down at the cross of Jesus and allowing him and being real with him and saying, God, this is who I am and I need you because without you, I'm not gonna ever get victory over this. If we don't do that, we're not gonna see the growth in our life we want. We're not gonna grit our teeth and defeat lust in our life. Men, you're not gonna grit your teeth and defeat lust in your life. Humans, you're not gonna grit your teeth and defeat selfishness in your life. You don't grow out of being selfish. I have family members that are in their 60s and 70s are most, the most selfish people I know. So age doesn't make you selfless. It's the work of Jesus in your life that helps you to be selfless. It's the only way that change comes in our life. But we try to hide the truth, even from ourselves. Right, it's like that when you have that noise in the car and you just turn up the radio, because you just don't want to go to the mechanic. If I can't hear it, it's not there. Right? I think it's going away, but really you're just listening to heavy metal every day. Or you got the issue in your body, you know, you got your knees hurting, but you just don't want to go to the doctor because you're stubborn. You're like, you know what, I'm just going to talk about it. Your, your spouse asks you how your knee is, you're like, it's good. Even though you can, you know, you're limping, obviously. And really what you need is a doctor or a mechanic. And you think if I just ignore it, it'll go away. But what happens is you end up by the side of the road or you end up having to have knee surgery because you waited too long, right? And it's the same thing with our sin. We ignore it and we think it'll just go away or it'll just get better on its own. It's not gonna get better. It's gonna get worse. You're gonna get more numb to it and you're gonna allow it to even have more place in your life over time. We have to be real and be transparent with ourselves. And listen, I can tell you today, church, that I feel like in some ways the church at large has done us a disservice when it comes to this because oftentimes Sunday mornings are the least transparent time of the week. And I'm not suggesting you come in here and sit down with somebody and air all your dirty laundry. But man, we can, we can work so hard to put on our best face, put on our best clothes, act like everything's good, you know, with good intentions, really. Like, you know, I know I love Jesus, I know I'm a Christian, and so uh, I, should be a certain, I should be at a certain place in my walk, right? I should, I should be to where I'm not dealing with all the things I'm dealing with, so I don't wanna let anybody else know that because I'm sure they've got it all conquered and so if I am, am, am transparent and honest with myself and with them, they're gonna look down on me, they're gonna judge me, it's gonna be embarrassing. So instead of dealing with it, we go around acting like nothing's wrong, and sometimes church can even perpetuate that. Instead of admitting to somebody that I've got so much fear in my life, I can't sleep at night. 
I worry so much about my kids or about my money or about my health that I can't even sleep and I'm constantly exhausted because of it. Or I'm, I hate my job so passionately, I'd almost rather be homeless than work in this job, but I don't know what to do. I have to act like I like it because it's a blessing from God. Or God forbid we would ever say that we're having struggles in our faith with doubt, right? You can't say doubt about your faith in church. Are you kidding me? We're all super Christians. We all sing worship songs. We don't have any doubt. When the reality is every human being ever has had doubts in their faith, consistently. If you don't, you're not really thinking about your faith because there's just too much of it that is just doesn't make sense in our natural mind. So we have to be able to be real about who we are. And we have to be able to be real with ourselves and with God because when we're honest with God, he can change our name. When we're honest with him, he can change our name. And listen, it's not just those big, overt, you know, ugly sins that we think about that are the, the really bad sins. Some of the worst things we deal with are the things that are right up here. In fact, the worst thing we deal with, I would venture to say, is pride. Because pride's really the root of every sin. But sometimes pride manifests itself in a way in our life that comes out as self-righteousness. I mentioned this a little bit last week. The self-righteousness that we deal with, I deal with that. Of feeling like you actually deserve the name change. Feeling like you actually went ahead and you let God change your name and now I'm good. And I deserve to be able to, to have this different name and be different and, and God owes me this and, and uh, I, I've worked so hard that I deserve what God is doing in my life. And I can tell you today, church, I believe it with every ounce of, I, of what I am that the, the sin of self-righteousness and pride is the ugliest of all. It's way uglier than drunkenness, pornography, all the, all the yucky words we, we don't like to say in church, self-righteousness is a thousand times worse. It's a thousand times worse because for the most part, many of us don't even know we're dealing with it. We actually make, think it makes us feel closer to God when the reality is it's pushing us away from God. There are hundreds of millions of people out there that think they're on the road to heaven because of their self-righteousness that are really on the road to hell and they're taking people with them. That's what makes it so dangerous. We don't deserve ever getting our name changed by God. All we can do is rejoice that though we don't deserve it, he still chose to change our name. That's the only thing we can do is come to him as we are and give ourselves to him and rejoice that he has done such an incredible work in our life. And being real about our name and the issues we have in our life doesn't make us worthy for him to change it. All it does is it activates the grace and mercy in, in him to, to have it activated in our life. That's all it does. Again, it's the system that God has set up. To think that because I'm a Christian, everything's just dealt with is ludicrous. In fact, 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9 tell us very, very clearly, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I'm gonna read it again. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Church, this was written by the Apostle John. It was written to the church, okay? Not, it's not an evangelistic message that he's writing. It is written to the church. He is saying that if we do not think that we have any sin, we are deceiving ourselves. It, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. In other words, he'll change our name and take away all the unrighteousness. The only thing that causes him to do any ch name changing in our life is confessing our sin, coming before him 
and saying, God, I need you. I, I, you have no reason, there's no, nothing good in me to, that, that should require you to do anything for me, but I'm coming in the name of your son, and I'm hidden in the cleft of the rock, and I am depending and counting on him to be my salvation, to be my righteousness, to be my holiness, and that activates that mercy and grace, that name change in your life when we are real with him. The best place we can be is like Isaiah was when he saw the throne room. Many of you know in Isaiah 6, Isaiah had a vision of God. It says he, he was taken into the throne room of God, and he said, I saw the Lord on the throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Unbelievable scene that we can't even begin. If somebody, if people have tried to draw it, you couldn't even begin to do it justice, what that must have looked like. It says the angels were all around the throne, and some were singing, they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. An unbelievable scene that Isaiah saw. And Isaiah was a good man. He was a prophet of God. Let's look at Isaiah's response when he saw that in verses five through seven. It says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So he saw him and he knew right away, I don't deserve to be here. There ain't nothing about me that deserves to be in this room. I'm gonna die. I'm a man of unclean lips. He was a prophet of God, yet he was a man of unclean lips. Very righteous, as far as human standards go. Let's go on, then. Everyone say then. Then, then after he was real with who he was, he said his real name. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. After Isaiah saw who he really was and saw how unworthy he really was, and he confessed it, that was when it activated the mercy of God where he came and cleansed his lips. So what we learn from Jacob, what we learn from Paul, what we learn from Isaiah, is if we really wanna see the name change in our life, it's not about trying to be the best Christian you can be. It's about throwing yourself down at the mercy of Jesus. It's about saying, God, I have nothing to bring you. My only offering to bring you is my life. That's all I can bring you. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for 10 minutes or, or 100 years. You have nothing to bring him that he, that he doesn't already have. It's just your life. It's just throwing yourself down at him. And then when we do that, when we, when we are honest with who we are, he can change our name. You know, we don't like brokenness, but it is a critical part of God's transformation process in our life. I can tell you, our pride keeps us from wanting to be broken. But if you can get past that and allow God to break you, to show you who you really are, to show you your own heart, you will see him in greater capacity. I can promise you that. Okay, third and finally, I'll finish with this. The biggest blessing God can give you is to change you. Jacob wanted to be blessed. He was holding on to him because he wanted to be blessed. But the biggest blessing he can give us is to change us. You know, it's okay to ask for, for things in this world. We live in this world, we still need things. So it's okay to ask God for those things, but we can't let that be primary. That has to be secondary in our life. That the primary thing that we are looking for, God's biggest blessing in our life would be that he changes us. That he changes our name that he changes our name. 
Jacob's persistence in wanting blessing actually made him blind to God. It actually caused, God him, see, caused him to strive against God because he just wanted all these blessings. He wanted the blessing of his father. He wanted the blessing of the firstborn. He wanted the, the privileges and all the blessings because he had in his mind how it was gonna look. When in reality, the blessing he really needed was to encounter God and to let God actually change him, change his heart, change his perspective. Really, when he actually encountered God, it changed everything in Jacob's life. It changed everything. It changed his relationships. You know, Esau, when he finally did come to him, he didn't, he didn't want to harm him. Now, whether or not that was going to be that way before he encountered God, nobody would know. But when he met Esau, Esau actually embraced him. He had a, had a family reunion. It was wonderful. It changed Jacob's whole perspective. He lived his whole early life all about himself. And scripturally, it shows that he lived the rest of his life not just for himself. He was actually pretty selfless. He was pretty good to his family because that encounter with God changed him. And that's exactly what it'll do in your life. When we encounter God, when we allow him to change our name, and, and I'm not talking about a one-time name change, I'm talking about change the names of everything in our life. He could change from uh, lust to purity. He could change from doubt to faith. He can change from selfishness to selflessness. He can change all those names in our life. That's what he wants to do, and when he does, it changes everything. It'll change your relationships, it'll change your marriage. It'll change your friendships. It'll change your relationship with your boss. It'll change your relationship with your coworkers, with your neighbors. Suddenly you'll have a, a heart for your neighbors and want to see them fall in love with Jesus. It'll change everything in your life when he changes your name. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I want us to pray together. And listen, church. If you want God to change your name, any aspect of your life that you want him to come in, you want to just lay it down before him today. Come to the altar. Let's go. Let's pray. Let's pray today. Uh, every, we, all of us have something we probably need God to change in our hearts. Let's pray together. There is something about responding, coming forward, just saying, yes, God. God, I'm saying yes to you today. I'm saying yes. I'm going to allow you to have your way. I'm not going to hide my stuff from you anymore. I'm not going to try to get your blessings. I'm not going to try to go around your system to try to get you to bless me and manipulate. I want you to change me. I want you to deal with the things that I'm dealing with in my life. And if you're here today, or you're listening online and you don't know this Jesus we talk about, maybe, you've, maybe you knew him one time, you've walked away. Maybe you're here today and you're not even sure why. You just came to church for some reason. Maybe you've been coming for a little bit, but you've just been kind of holding everything at arm's length, like, God, I'm not, I'm not, not ready. Because you know the commitment that it takes. Because if we're really gonna do this life of faith, it's a commitment. It, there's a cost. You don't get to live like you did before. You live for Jesus now. You're not living for yourself. But can I encourage you today, can I challenge you today to don't let this day pass without giving him your life, without saying, Jesus, forgive me for living my life my way. I'm a sinner and I need a savior because that's who we all are. We all were sinners in need of a savior. And just because we got a savior doesn't mean we stop sinning. But it means he looks at us through the prism of Jesus. He sees the blood that was shed for us and for our sins when we trust in him for our salvation. So don't leave today without making that choice, making that decision to give your life for him. It's worth it. For those of you at the altar today, I wanna to pray for you. I want you to release whatever it is. I want you to give it to God today. I want you to be honest. He's asking you your name today. He's saying, what is your name? What are you dealing with? What is, the, what is the thing in your life that you have allowed to permeate, that you've been ignoring, 
What is that thing? Tell him what it is. You don't have to tell him out loud. Tell him in your head. He can hear, he knows your thoughts. Tell him what it is and give it to him and ask him to forgive you for that today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you, Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that we have your word that tells us exactly who you are. We know your character. We know your great, incredible love for us, the great sacrifice you made for each and every one of us, God. And we come to you today throwing ourselves down at your mercy. Lord, we don't deserve to be in your throne room. But we thank you that because of what you did, Jesus, the word tells us that we can come boldly into the throne of grace, that we can come boldly into that room, but it's not because we're good enough, it's not because we're prophets or we're patriarchs of a whole nation or because we're apostles, it's not because of any of those things that we've done, it's because of what Jesus did for us and we stand on what Jesus did for us today. God, forgive us for our self-righteousness, forgive us for feeling like we're good enough, that we deserve anything from you, God, because we know we don't. And Lord, we wanna walk in that place of understanding that it's all about you, that everything happens in our life Everything that happens in our life is to get us to stop relying on ourselves, but to rely on you. Lord, we repent where we have allowed sin in our life to just permeate, where we have allowed it to just have its way. We've just turned the radio up a little louder and we've just ignored it, God. We don't wanna do it anymore. And we thank you today that your word is very, very clear that when we confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, to purify us, to change our name. And we thank you for that today, God. Change our names today, God. We pray that those things would be things of the past, that we would not be called Jacob anymore, but we'd be Israel too. Lord, because we want to be more like you in our lives, Jesus. More like you. We know this journey does not end until we meet you face to face. So for those of us in this room that are 13 years old or 93 years old, God, we know we're still needing to be more like you. So make us more like you, God. Change our names for your glory and for our good, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen, amen. Can we praise God one more time? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, thank you, God. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Okay, you can go back to your seats, everybody. So here's the deal. Just like I just told the youth a minute ago, had an emotional moment this week, right? This, moments like this right now, the reason we come to the altar, moments like this, they're meant to be a catalyst for us. They're meant to help shift our thinking a little bit, right? Help our mind, help us to get around what, what, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, okay? So what we're doing today is great, but let this be your lifestyle, okay? Don't just, don't just wait for a sermon on this stuff. Live a lifestyle of coming before God, saying, God, what do you need to change in me? What am, I, what am I not being real with myself about? Where am I just turning up my radio louder? God, show me, because I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you for him to change you. He works in his system for him to change you. We have to be real with what's going on. And, and the word is clear that no matter how many times, he tells us that we gotta forgive infinite amount of times to people. He wouldn't ask us to do something that he won't do for us. He's gonna continue to do it. He doesn't say, oh, you know what, I just, I just forgave that. I forgave you of that yesterday. I'm not doing it today. Today's my day off. He doesn't take days off. He doesn't stop forgiving us. He's looking for hearts that are for him. And he will work with us forever. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you for being here today.